This is Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. I'm your host, Amy Allison. If Democrats want to win back leadership, they've got to do more than simply win back the presidency in 2020. They need to win back Congress. Now, many are rightfully looking ahead to 2018 midterm elections, as they should. But you should know there are some special elections to fill congressional seats that are happening this spring. And the good news is there are leaders that are stepping up who are refusing to recycle the old, tired uh, Democratic Party strategies, which we know don't work. Our guest this episode is Wendy Carrillo, and she is one of those leaders. She's stepping up to represent those marching for environmental justice and immigration reform, education equity, and women's rights. She's a true movement leader. I want you to get to know Wendy Carrillo. Her election is coming up in early April, and she's a homegrown candidate from California's 34th congressional district, representing downtown L.A., Boyle Heights, and Koreatown. And she's running in a highly contested race to replace now Attorney General Xavier Becerra. She went from fleeing war as a young woman to running for office. It's an incredible story. Check it out. Okay, pronounce your last name because I'm throwing an tr- extra R in there. Carrillo. Oh, no. I think I did it right. Carrillo. Carrillo, yeah. It really should be Carrillo. Okay, why? Because of the uh, the double L. It's an LJ. Uh-huh. So you pronounce it like a J. Yeah. But it should be Carrillo. But okay. no one says it like That's that. That's too advanced for me. <laughs> it's advanced. It's advanced Spanish. Okay, and to Mark's in color, we had a, a staff meeting, and uh, one of our team members was like, uh, okay, it's the cheese or something like that. And they were like, you wait, you know what that means? And the rest of us who didn't speak Spanish, well, cheese mate, well, that's the basic California word. Cheese time. It's my favorite time. Why? It's gossip time. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got some gossip for me? <laughs> cheese time. Uh, there's always time for gossip, I think. It's like, I'm really tired until you have cheese time, and then you're not tired it's anymore. It's like, boom, I got energy. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't get much sleep last night. Uh because I'm writing a book, and then I, when I have a, a, a burst of inspiration, I'm, I'm going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, you know, this morning I was dragging, and obviously I spilled your coffee because I'm, you know, herky jerky. <laughs> but as soon as you mentioned, she's been like, "Hey, hey, what? What's what? going on?" <laughs> yeah, my uh, friend of mine used to say, "Pass, pass the cheese. Don't forget the crackers." I'm like, oh, you got something good. Okay. <laughs> well, I was asking you how you're holding up. Uh, congressional campaign is. Uh, very demanding. I, I, yes, it's um, it's been nonstop. I used to count the days. It was like day one, day two, day three, and it was very quite novel, right? In in the beginning of the campaign, and now it's like I'm counting backwards. It's twenty days now before April fourth, which is the day of the primary, but people have already started voting. So that's it's it's incredible that it's coming up so quickly. Yes. And uh, you know, in the introduction, I say you know people are looking at. Uh, congressional seats for 2018, but mm-hmm. your special election is incredibly important. So I yes. want to I want to know all about the dynamics, but I really mm-hmm. want to know about you. Let's do um, it. For, first of all, you have this incredible profile in Forbes magazine that uh, talks about you escaping war to being a congressional candidate for the 34th district and. Uh, you know, how did you start? Would, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, when you were younger. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and and thank you to the the women at Forbes who are doing this incredible uh, series of of stories on resilience, 
which is how they learned about me and my story and why they chose to feature it. And so I, you know, I was born in El Salvador uh, in 1980, right smack in the middle of the Civil War. And my, unfortunately, you know, my biological father died in that war. Mm. And my mother was, you know, in her early 20s and she made a very courageous decision to seek a better life for herself and for her daughter and for her mother and her sister um, in the U.S. And so she came to the U.S. first to check out, you know, see what's going on. Um, and and see she came she, to California? She came to California. She came to Los Angeles. And she had a cousin here. And some of, you know, our members of our family had came to L.A. already, um, escaping the war. And she came and uh, she she started working odd jobs. You know, my mother had a university degree in El Salvador and we lost everything, like many people in, in civil war nations do. And um, so she was very young. She was in her early 20s and she made a, the long, treacherous um, road here. And I can only imagine, you know, what she was thinking when she was 23 and going through all this, leaving her baby girl at home with her mother. And so... You're the baby girl. Yeah. How old were you? I, you know, I must have been around three when she left. Must have been heartbreaking. Of course, you know. And um, so, you know, she was able to save some money um, that she was able to send over for me, for my grandmother and her sister. We came together and we crossed the the U.S.-Mexico border. And uh, I was wearing a, a little Mickey Mouse shirt and my little, I had my hair in pigtails and I was told to blend in and not, you know, say much. And in those days, traveling um, with a coyote, right, was very common and not as dangerous as it's become. Um, they were more guides at that time? Yeah, there were more guides. And so we came in, we, cro- we flew into Mexico and then came... Um, uh, with a car, you know, across the Tijuana border. And, you know, my mother had made a new life here. And so she um, she had another little girl, she had my, my baby sister. And, you know, uh, and I had a new dad. And a man who raised me, who I, know as, who I know and love as my father, is of Mexican descent. And it is because of him that we were able to obtain residency. So we came without status. And I did not know this. So from the ages of 5 and 13, I was undocumented, like many children that flee war and violence. And that specifically fled El Salvador and Nicaragua and Honduras during that time. And um, so at 13, I found out that I was undocumented and luckily had a pathway to residency. It had taken years and years before that happened. And I was able to go back to El Salvador and see the country as a teenager. You know, you're 13 years old. I was in eighth grade. I My my life and my mind were in different places. You're just L.A. You know, I'm just kid, like, yeah. yeah, I'm just wearing my L.A. gears, you know, like listening to like Madonna and Gloria Trevi. And, okay. you know, and you learned for the first time. I learned for the first time this history. And went back to the country and saw what it looked like post-war and wondered, you know, what what would my life have been like had there not been a war? Had we not had to flee and migrate and go to a whole new country? Had my family not lost so much in the process? Came back to the U.S. with residency and um, years later had a pathway to citizenship. You know, you wait the X amount of years before you're able to apply for citizenship and I waited longer because I needed to save. It was close to like $700 that I didn't have. 
in order for me to apply for the process. Yeah. They never talk about the cost. Of, you know, yeah. Uh, heartbreaking over the last couple of weeks of um, young people that were in the same position that you're in who are mm-hmm. speaking out against bans, immigration bans, and uh, uh, the policies coming out of the Trump administration, and even one being arrested uh, after speaking publicly. It's, yes. You know, the, uh, the Dreamers and the Dream Act movement is something that I've, as a journalist, have covered very early on. I had a, a radio show in Los Angeles called Knowledge is Power for 10 years, where one of our the major things that we talked about was uh, the failed Dream Act. You know, the Dream Act failed in 2001 because of 9-11. After 9-11, just anything having to do with immigration just came to a complete halt. And so we would have had the DREAM Act in 2001 had it not been for what happened to the Twin Towers and this fear that overcame the country and the legislators and everything came to a halt. So it literally put the lives of thousands and thousands of young people that have now aged out and were not able to participate in DACA under Obama. And those that did are now incredibly afraid that they are on a registry where they might be found and targeted. You know, we created a system that told these young people that they could trust their government. And now they're incredibly afraid. And so having once been in that situation and having had a pathway, I find that I'm in an incredibly privileged position to be able to advocate without fear um, on what this truly means for, for families across this nation and really across the world. We're talking about Syrian refugees fleeing war and violence. We're talking about unaccompanied minors from Central America. And the words that we choose to use to describe these groups of people, why do some get called refugees and why do some just simply are called immigrants mm. when they're both fleeing the same type of violence mm. that has been created by American foreign policy? We need to... Th- we need to be so thoughtful about the words that we use and how we talk about uh, the other people in the country. And, how you know, um, it seems like we're at this place where uh, some of the fundamentals are are in question. Uh, mm-hmm. Are we are we a country that's open or closed? Um, is this why you're running for Congress? It's one of the many reasons why I'm running. I, you know, I felt a calling to do this. This is the district where I grew up. It's oh, is a, it? Where? A, yeah. what, what neighborhood were you? It's a district that's raised me. I grew up in Boyle Heights and City Terrace on the east side, okay. you know, east of the river. I went to public schools there, you know, uh, El Sereno Middle School, Roosevelt High School, then went on to East L.A. College, Cal State L.A., and eventually made my way to USC for a graduate degree. So it's paved. I've paved the way in many ways for my four younger sisters. There's five of us total. And, you know, it became an issue of, like, not if but when. And, you know, I could not allow the sacrifices of my parents um, to go unnoticed. You know, they, mm. they've done so much. My mother has sacrificed so much. And I only learned that, you know, as an adult, you look back. <laughs> you get grateful for your parents, like, yeah. late. Your parents are all yeah. ragged, bedraggled, not unappreciated. And then all right? of a sudden. Uh, I, re- yeah. I remember being young, being, like, in eighth grade and wanting to go to camp so bad, like, with my class and just wanting to do all the things that, you know, kids do. And my mother wouldn't let me, and I never understood why. Like, why won't you let me do things that are totally normal for, like, an American kid, right? Yeah. And it wasn't until later that it made sense, like, oh, it's because she was afraid. She was afraid for me. She was afraid for the family and didn't know how to explain that to an 8-year-old, to a 10-year-old. And finally, at 13, I understood. 
and things made sense, but I was rebellious and it didn't quite make much sense until I was a little bit older and I was able to understand. No, there's a lot of fear everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you do with that personal fear? I mean, you're in politics. So you how know, do you direct it? Now you channel it. I'm channel it into creating a country of what can be and what should be, not a country of fear and oppression. I have, we all have an incredible opportunity to um, make a nation of opportunity and promise. And right now we're seeing the exact opposite. And, you know, this country was here for me when my family needed it. And now I want to be there for it. And I want to make sure that the opportunities that I had and that I have now are available to everyone else. We all have the right to the American dream. This country does not belong to anyone. It belongs to all of us. And if and if it belonged to anyone, it would be the Native American people that mm. we continue to oppress. It's the reason why I was at Standing Rock. It's the reason why I felt connected and and a calling to go there during that process. And it is there that I became 100% fearless. And it was leaving Standing Rock that this seat became available, that I chose to go on this journey because it was presented before me. I was asking and it, I, it was answered. You mean you asked? I asked God, the I universe. I asked the and... world. I asked the universe. I said, what can I do to serve to make sure that this country is a better one? After seeing elders and grandmothers and young people get tear gassed and water cannoned all in an effort to protect the right to clean water and I kept asking, what is Congress doing? What is the president doing? Why is this even happening? As a human rights journalist, I've been covering these issues around the world. Mm -hmm. And to see them here in North Dakota and to see the increase of a militarized police state. And I know what this looks like in in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world. Yeah, you have personal experience. I have personal experience on what profits over people means, like what it truly means. And to see like the increase of a militarized police state. I've seen it. I just, I'm really struck uh, because uh, you're speaking from a movement perspective, uh, what it would be like to translate that in D.C., to be in Congress, because there's not a lot of, uh, you know, other Congress members who talk like this, Mm. who relate so closely to the big movements of our day. Mm. How would you approach that? How would you get things done, um, given... Even among Democrats, how rare uh, what you're talking about and your perspective is. I I believe in what Representative John Lewis calls good trouble. And we are decades from the 1960s, but the movements continue. And we've forgotten. We think that we've achieved so much, but we're only going backwards in time because achievement has made people of color present and at the table. And others are quite afraid of that. And so we need to figure out a way to continue the movement so that we don't fail the generations to come. And we need to not only hold the Republican Party and this new administration accountable, but hold the Democratic Party accountable. Yeah, I was going to ask you. It it's seems like a couple of parties in one. I'm, yeah. It's, it's this lack of connection to community. The fact that you need to have a poll done in order for you to understand and know that it's okay to say Black Lives Matter, that it's okay to say not one more deportation. To It's, so, it's okay to say that we need trans women's liberation and that Winnie Mitchell Mini Wachoni is needed, which is water is life. Like these are all movements that are intersected with each other because at the end of the day, we are all people. And the United States is not made by an entity or a 
a piece of paper. It is made by the people of this nation, and we get to build it and create it, and it is not done. It's literally the Constitution says we, the people, in order to make a more perfect union, which to me means that it is not done, it is not completed, it is ever-changing, and we get an opportunity to truly build the kind of country that we want. And I want to be a part of that because the kind of country that we are right now that we are seeing is not the country that I love and it is not the country that accepted me and made me who I am today. Mm. What's it going to take for you to be successful on April 4th? The biggest challenge that I think women and myself face or women of color face is fundraising. So as a first time as a first time candidate, um, I don't have connections to deep donors or deep pockets. All of my support is incredibly grassroots. It is from community. My special interests are the single mother of two who gave me $100 and said, this is all I have, but I know that you're going to represent me and my children when you get to Congress. Oh, that's a... How did that feel? Uh, I can. I get, I, you know, I feel incredibly responsible every day for the lives of people in my district and for the lives of people across this country who deserve more than what we have. There is a, a salvadreña, another lady um, who lives in a very red part of the country. And this is why this is more than just about this district. This is about the, the nation. This is about the soul of this country who hasn't seen her family since like the early 1970s. She's an older woman who's been following, one, my career as a journalist, and now even more excited that I get to take that experience into Congress. And she said to me, um, she made a very early donation to my campaign, and I called her to say thank you mm -hmm. for believing. I did not know who she was. And it turned out that she's, you know, she's been following and she knows my story. We have a very similar story. And she said, I haven't seen my family since the early 1970s. And when you posted the photo of your mommy and your papi on Facebook the night of your first fundraising deadline, which was um, December 31st, I touched the screen and I felt my family for the first time through yours. And I, I just, I, I did, one, I did not know what to say, but I understood the impact that we have when we connect, when we are people, when we look, I'm not I'm not a politician, but what I can tell you is that I believe in public service. And I think that's something that we've been missing for a long time. We've been missing leadership. We've been missing courage and hope, actually. And um I get overwhelmed <laughs> when I just your passion and your clarity. Um it is it's like medicine. Uh last few months have been um Hard uh, yeah. for for all of us, and um, you know, I thank you because running is uh, is something else. And people can, you know, you have a you have a Facebook page. I tried to tweet. I'm not much of people know. <laughs> I'm not I'm not much on Twitter, but uh, I took a picture of the empty you know studio that we're currently in, and uh -huh. I'm oh, hoping, I yeah, <laughs> yeah, I retweet. Well, hopefully, I'll have a new tweet with our pictures yes. in it. <laughs> you know, just um, just. Excited, and I want people to know you. I want people to know you outside of Los Angeles. I want people to know you across the country. I believe that um, bold leadership that's connected to movements, if it's elevated, it can actually make a tremendous difference. And so I just want to thank you for uh, stepping into your leadership because that is – it's a, I mean – you know, I'm I'm meeting you for the first time in person, and it is a remarkable thing to behold. Thank you. Okay, so let me ask you: this knowledge is power. Uh, 
show that you had on Power 106. Isn't Power 106 a hip-hop? It is. Are that's, you a hip-hop person? That's the coolest thing about it. <laughs> Wait, are you a hip-hop fan? Or? I am, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I, like I mean, I, I mean, I grew up listening to Tupac and Biggie, but I'm also like super into like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. I, I, my music taste is incredibly eclectic. Yeah. But the reason why I had this, this show on a hip-hop station is because I wanted to reach an audience that wasn't necessarily listening to NPR. Mm-hmm. I wanted to listen. I wanted to reach to my community. I wanted to reach out and and have a conversation about policy and issues and hold elected officials accountable, um, but also have a good time and also listen to like the new Drake song that just dropped and like. Wait, what was that? Do you yeah. you have to you have to understand. <laughs> we got an age differential here in the studio. I don't know anything about anything, and um, people who know me know my nineteen year old yeah. son Isaiah is a hip-hop dancer, and he's touring with Justin Bieber. I don't know a single Justin Bieber song, but I know my son is on stage, and they're in New Zealand today, and that's... So check check this out. I was at Power 106 when Justin Bieber had just, like, wasn't anything at the time. And and our station did a, uh, like, a high school concert Uh with him, and I was like, this kid's going to blow up. You had a feeling? I had a feeling. What was it? How, uh, old, it was, how old was he? I, how old was he when he, like, I don't even remember how old he was when he first, like, came onto the scene. But he must have been, like, a teenager himself. Mm-hmm. He's only 23. Huh? So he's only 23 right Yeah. Now. So, clearly, he must have been, like, 16, 17, maybe? Oh, I don't, I mean, goodness. I don't remember, but. Something about him, huh? I mean, he had the little, the haircut, remember? And he had that song, the song about, with the the girl in the bowling See, you're never gonna. You, know? you could you could prompt, and I'd be like, "Oh, nice song." I've never I've yeah. never heard. It. You know, I'm I'm kind of old R and B. But that's so awesome <laughs> that your that your son is touring with him. Yeah. That's so cool. It's cool. It's very cool. He actually started at Cal State Cal State L A. Like you, yeah. But lasted a quarter and was like, you know, moving on to the things that he wanted to do, which was exciting. Oh, he needs to go. Maybe he'll get some time to go back and get his yeah. degree and it's be a, a golden eagle. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's the largest I think uh, uh, Cal State campus, I believe. Oh, that I I don't know, but I mean, it's one of the, it's been rated as one of the best universities in the country. Mm-hmm. All right, so you met Lulu, our uh, mm-hmm. intrepid producer. So we have this segment called "This or That," so don't overthink it. Okay. Uh, all right, Loteria or Dominoes? Loteria. Yeah. Why? It's what I grew up playing. Okay. With like, uh, we'd use pennies or beans to like, you know, do a little like chalupa or la luna or sol or whatever. <laughs> were you good at it? Yeah, we're pretty good. I mean, yeah. Okay. Matted or glossy? Matted or glossy? I don't even know what that, like lipstick? Look, we could skip Mat- it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that like paint? <laughs> okay. We'll skip it. We'll skip it. Nikki or Remy? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, my God. Wow, that's even a tougher political question than actual politics. Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to go with Nikki. Nikki, okay. I'm okay. going to make a decision. I'm going to go with okay, Nikki. Okay, why? Though. You know, I just, I, I like her swag. I think she keeps it real. She keeps it 100. Yeah, give it 100. <laughs> okay, all right. Salsa or merengue? Salsa. You dance? But, yeah. but if neither, bachata. Bachata. Mm-hmm. Okay, just true confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, since I live in Oakland, right by the columns by Lake Merritt, on Sundays they have a bachata 
class, mm-hmm. a group who does that. Mm-hmm. And I stand at the outside going, I wish I knew how to do. <laughs> I grew up in, in Ohio. We did square dance. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't bachata, but bachata is mm. a beautiful, beautiful dance. It's so soft and sweet, and oh, it's it's great. <sighs> okay, so we're ha- okay. Uh, Black Bear is sidekick. Whoa, that's a that's a throwback. <laughs> uh, I never had a sidekick, so Blackberry. Okay. <laughs> and here's your bonus question: Tea with Ivanka or <laughs> Melania? Why, Lulu, why is she writing these questions? Like, if you can just see my face right now, like, that is the answer. You know what? I would take tea with Melania because I'd love to get her immigration story. Oh, good one. Mm-hmm. Good one. She's our first immigrant first lady. No one's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're so busy positioning the whole country against immigrants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, so so you're doing well, and uh, you're stopping in Oakland, and uh, you're headed back to L.A. pretty soon? Yeah, tonight. Tonight we, um, we're we here to meet some folks and to actually, you know, meet some progressive Democrats that want to help me out and, you know, throw some money to our campaign. Ultimately, like, the, the money game in, in any campaign is a very real thing. Like, we need to be able to not only say that we want to support women and women of color to run, but we need to make sure that we have the mechanisms to ensure that we win. So it's not okay to simply just say, I'm running. And people have said, oh, Wendy, you've already won, though. Your story is out there. And I'm like, Mm, no. No, No, it is not enough. Winning is winning. Winning is winning. And also, like, value that I'm putting my story and my family and everything on the line here. Mm -hmm. Like, I get assaulted on social media every single day. Because of my story, because of who I am, because I'm a woman, because I'm apologetic and I'm loud and I'm bold and I don't, I don't care for your shenanigans. And right? I kind of love it. It's kind of <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I need to win. And, yes. And the yes. only way that we do that is to ensure that we're fundraising money so that we have a viable campaign. And what's your, yeah, what's your website? The website is votewendycarrillo.com. There's a little red button right there. It says donate. So give what you can. We have a campaign called the 34 for 34 which is $34 for the 34th district. $27 is a very popular donation amount right now. And so um, we're just um, upping it up a little. But if you can give more, please give more. All right. Well, I'm going to give my share. And I am just so thrilled to have you in the Democracy in Color studios. Wendy Carrillo, who is bold and fierce and strong and funny and cool. (laughs) How does that Running for Congress, the 34th no, no. district. They're, yeah, not, they're not ready for me. They're not ready. I'm. We're ready. You can, <laughs> We are ready. Thanks so much for joining us on Democracy in Color. It's Thank great you to for have having you. me. Democracy in Color is a project of Power Pack Plus. This episode was recorded at 25th Street Recording in Oakland, California, and produced by Lulu Matute and edited by Gabe Shepard. Special thanks to Paula Luisi, Rose Torres, and all the staff women working for Wendy's campaign, and to the brave and resilient candidate for California's 34th district, Wendy Carrillo. You can listen to future episodes of Democracy in Color on democracyincolor.com, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And you can also connect with us on Facebook and on Twitter. If you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Tell a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. So until next time, thanks for joining us.